The misconception that people have about introverts is that it's like a weakness. It's like you can't be amazing as an introvert, and which is extremely untrue because I built like a half a million platform using my words as an introvert. I'm a recruiter as an introvert. I can go to parties and have fun as an introvert, but I need my time alone. There are no rules. No rules. You're listening to Degree Free on the Degree Free Network, where we talk about how to teach yourself, get work, and make money. No degree needed. Here are your hosts, Ryan and Hannah Maruyama. Maruyama. Aloha, folks, and welcome back to Degree Free. I am super excited to have on my guest today, Linda Lee. Linda is the founder at Creatively Quiet, and she is a recruiter in the defense industry. You are going to get a ton of value out of this episode because we are going to get a behind the scenes peek of what a recruiter's job is and what it takes for you to cut through the noise so that you can get noticed by recruiters. We also talk about what it's like to be a recruiter and how the pay structure works and the different qualities and skills that you need to break into that industry. Linda has also built up over a half a million followers on LinkedIn and we go over the basics of content creation so that you can get started. As usual, show notes to everything that we talked about is gonna be at degreefree.co forward slash podcast. You can say hi to Linda on LinkedIn. That's Linda Lee, L-E. And you can also say hi to her at creativelyquiet.com. And without any further ado, please enjoy this conversation with Linda Lee. Linda, we have been trying to make this happen for almost a year. And I was telling you this before we started recording, but I went back to our original email and our original email was in January and we finally were able to settle on a time. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you for having me. (laughs) I would love to start out with a little bit of an introduction of who you are, what you do for work most importantly, because we are going to be talking a lot about your industry, which is the reason why I wanted to have you on. Hi, everyone. I'm Linda Lee. I'm founder of Creatively Quiet, a mental health brand centered around amplifying quiet and diverse voices. And I'm also currently a recruiter in defense at the moment. I don't have a college degree. And for the longest time, it was the toughest thing ever. But along the way, I made it and I'm here just to inspire that you can do it too. We're going to talk about recruiting. We're definitely going to talk about Creatively Quiet. But to begin, I would love to start with your past and how you got into the recruiting staffing industry, because I was looking at your LinkedIn and the LinkedIn doesn't always tell everybody's story. So I'm not sure what jobs you held prior to this or jobs that aren't on LinkedIn, but you went from Bank of America to recruiting. How did you make that transition? Yes. So when I graduated high school, I went straight to community college. I am a terrible test taker, terrible at math. So my SATs or PSATs were terrible. So I started at community college and I was there for two years. And then I got into my dream school, UC Davis, which was my dream. Growing up, I always wanted to go to UC Davis and I got the acceptance. And then I was just like, I don't want to go here anymore. So I threw it. (laughs) I threw it in the trash. And then my mom, she found it. And my parents are like traditional Asian American and they immigrated here from Vietnam. And they were just like, we thought you didn't get in. What are you going to do with your life? I'm like, well, I'm going to go and be a nanny and a housekeeper. (laughs) They're like, so you're going to give up going to college to be a housekeeper and a nanny. I'm like, yes, for 15 an hour. And I did that for three years. Then COVID hit. And then I lost all my jobs because parents were now having to stay home with their kids. So it's like they didn't need me anymore. And then six months into COVID, I was just like, okay, so obviously I'm not going to go back to nannying. I need a fresh start. But no one wants to hire me because I don't have relevant experience. I don't have a degree. I have no connections. There's no one that's going to help me. And I'm super introverted. So for me to do this was completely out of my comfort zone, but I got dressed up in like a dress and heels and I printed out my resume. For some reason, I wanted to like be a banker at that time. I don't know why. So I went to like a bunch of different companies of banks and I went in and I was just like, can I please speak with the hiring manager or the manager on site? And all these managers came out and I'm just like, look, this is my resume. I wanted to let you know how often are you going to find someone that's going to come in, shake your hand and ask to introduce themselves to you. And they looked at my resume and I told them, I don't have any experience. You're going to look at my resume. It's trash. There's nothing on my resume that's going to make you want to hire me. But I have the attitude. And if you train me, I will be the hardest worker you'll ever have. 
And after I did that, they called the recruiter. I got an interview within a few days. I went in. I got the offer within the next day because they said, no one has done that. You were the best interviewer. I beat out like people who had four to five years of sales experience. And that's how I got the job. When you got that job, did they have a job listing? It doesn't sound like they did have a job listing. They did, but I constantly kept getting rejected. Like every application, every center, I applied for like a bunch of different centers and it was constantly rejected, rejected, rejected. Okay, this is not getting me anywhere. And I applied to a bunch of different companies. It was constantly just the same, like, sorry, you're not a fit, blah, 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 you know? When you were doing that job, was it in the branch system? Were you at a branch or were you in like a back office type of thing? I was in a branch, so I was a teller and I was like a personal banker. I would be at the forefront of everything. It was a nice experience to get my foot in the door. So this job listing that you saw and you kept getting declined for and you kept getting denied for, it had a specific branch or you just walked into any branch? I just walked into every branch and I was just shooting my shot. They were just like, we're so impressed right now. We're calling the recruiter for you. And I'm just like, okay. Awesome. That is an amazing story. The couple of things there... First, why was UC Davis your dream school? So it was my dream school and I'm putting it in air quotes because it was my family's dream school. Like all of our cousins went there and they ended up becoming like doctors or dentists or pharmacists or whatever. And I was just like, oh, it's just UC Davis or nothing. But I'm going to major in psychology. What am I going to do with a psychology degree? And then I was going to be a therapist, but then I'm just like, Oh, statistics. I can't do that again. I failed stats three times. I wrote about failing statistics three times. And that's how I got into UC Davis. I wrote about was the hardest thing to overcome. And I wrote about failing statistics. And that's how I got into UC Davis by writing about failing statistics. And I'm like, I can't do this again. (laughs) (laughs) That's hilarious. So you got the acceptance letter, right? And then you threw it into the trash. Like, it's your dream school or it's your family's dream school. What was the impetus or what was the thing that clicked that made you take that and then throw it in the trash? Like, why didn't you want to go? For me, it was, I live by a quote or a motto. If it's not a hell yes, it's a no. And for me, like, I wasn't happy when I got it. And then I was terrified. I'm going to be in like thousands of student loan debt and be like 30, 60, 80K, like whatever it is. I'm just like, the thought of that terrified me. And part of it was fear. The fear of, I'm not really good at school. I have a lot of social anxiety. I don't want to be in a classroom all day long. That's one of the main pivotal reasons too. And I thought, I think I can do it without a degree. (laughs) When you were working in banking and then you were making your transition out, what fueled it? How did you do that? Of course. So it's, people don't know this because like, obviously you don't see everything. You just think like, oh, banking or recruiting. But I left banking because it wasn't the best environment for me. And it was draining me because I was just dealing with customers and their money was terrifying. I get screamed at every single day. And so I quit with nothing lined up. I literally quit with nothing lined up. And then I worked at Whole Foods for a few months because they were the only place that wanted to hire me because any company that I applied for after Bank of America, and I was really honest and I don't know if I should have been, but they're like, you have a gap. You left a company without anything lined up. You're a walking red flag. And they constantly kept pointing out like every or 95% of the hiring managers, they'd be like, you don't have a degree. And I'm like, okay, but what's the point? This is an entry level role. And they're just like, but you don't have a degree. You got into college and you chose not to go. I'm like, and what's your point? Like, do I really need a degree to do this entry-level role that you said that you will train for? They're like, sorry, you're a walking red flag. I'm like, okay. And the only company that would hire me was Whole Foods at the time because every company was like, you're underqualified, you're overqualified. And Whole Foods was just like, hey, you have like a teller experience, but you want to get paid for half of it? Totally fine. We'll take you. (laughs) (laughs) And then from Whole Foods, you did that for how long? I was literally only there for like one to two months and they were a a very kind company because I was very transparent. I was like, look, this is just a temporary job for me to pay my bills while I keep networking, looking for something else. They're like, we totally understand. Just do you. And while I was working at Whole Foods just to make some like money to pay rent, I started on LinkedIn. I didn't write yet. I was just networking. I had my open to work up. I was very transparent. I was like, I don't have a degree. And I wanted to be a recruiter because I had a good friend at the time. And she was just like, you'd be really good at recruiting. Like you're very kind. You're very patient. You have a kind voice. I think you'd really love it. And I was just like, okay. So then recruiting became my next like goal. And I started networking on LinkedIn 
And what I learned from networking on LinkedIn is the people who responded to me was when I didn't treat them as a transaction. Like I would reach out and I would just be like, hi, I'm Linda. You know, um, I recently quit my job and I'm trying to like transition. I'm not asking for any favors or anything, but I wanted to ask if you had time, like, could you tell me how you got into this or what you did? And for some reason, that kind of style of narration or reaching out, I got like 20 to 30 responses and they're just like, hey, we can put in a referral for you. We can interview prep you. And I was just like, oh, this is amazing. So I saw this company, it's like staffing. And that company, I kept seeing like every one at that company go on to Google and Amazon and Meta. And I was just like, oh, this is really cool. It's like a starting place. And at the time, like Fang was like all the hype and everything before the layoffs. And I was just like, oh, this is awesome. I'm going to get into this company. I'm going to work you for a year. Then I'm going to get into Fang. And then I interviewed for that company five times with five different hiring managers at five different locations. Four of the times it was, you don't have the experience, you don't have a degree, you have gaps. And one of the hiring managers made me cry because he's just like, you just don't have it what it takes to work here. And again, entry level role, we will train, you don't need a degree. Oh my God. And he didn't have a degree either. And he shamed me for not having a degree. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I always find to pull on that thread a little bit. I have met people like that, both by the nature of what I do and, and the people that I talk to, but then also internally when I was working, I've worked at actually a bunch of banks for a while and then all the other jobs that I did. And I always thought it was funny when the degree-free person got into a position of power and then they gatekept that job or that industry with the paper mindset is what we call it. Show me this piece of paper and then I'll let you through it. Then I'll grant you an interview and then maybe you have what it takes. But then it's like, wait a minute, you don't have that same piece of paper. Like I don't understand. What's I don't understand what's going on. Yeah, it was really defeating. I was just like, this was your first job too. Now you're a director level. I don't understand. It was just the most heartbreaking thing ever. I'm going to give up now. And then they reached out again. They're like, hey, we have one final position at this final location. This manager is really nice. The other four were really mean. I don't know if I believe you. So I was showing up to this final interview, like virtual. And I usually dress up, look nice. My hair was a mess. I was in Pokemon pajamas. They're not going to hire me. I'm just like, I don't really have any motivation anymore to try. But then for this hiring manager, she was very different. She was just like, so this is your fifth time interviewing for this company with me, which is the fifth manager. Can you tell me what the other managers said about you that you didn't get hired? And then I was just like, they told me I just didn't have what it took. They told me that I didn't have a degree. I have gaps. I'm not going to make it. And then she said, interesting. She's like, well, obviously you don't have the experience, but can you tell me about you? Like what makes Linda capable to be able to work here? And I just told her about my upbringing, every challenge that I was able to break through, how I didn't have a degree and I had to fight my way into a corporate. And I just kept going on in that. And she told me, I don't have a degree either, but I made it. I'm one of the most successful recruiting managers here. I started at the bottom too. And she told me the first time she interviewed, they shut her down because she was a banker and she didn't have a degree. And then she told me, if I gave you a chance right now, would you take it? But I'm going to start you as a sourcer. And then if you do well, you get promoted. And I was just like, are you sure? And she's like, we'll send the offer right away if you want it. So she gave me the offer on the spot and I signed it that night. Were you continuously applying to this company or was one application netting you five interviews? I constantly applied, but what happened was I would reach out to like recruiters or recruiting managers on LinkedIn at different locations and I would just shoot my shot and they would try their best to try to send me to the recruiter that was internal. You use the term there, a sorcerer. Yeah. For those that don't know what a sorcerer is, what is a sorcerer? So a sorcerer is typically someone below a recruiter and they typically source candidates and screen and send it to the recruiter. And the recruiter goes through the process and then sends it to the hiring manager. So it goes from sorcerer, recruiter, and then hiring manager. So the sorcerer helps out the recruiter a lot. I wanted to call back something that you said on LinkedIn when you were starting to get active and you were saying not treating these relationships transactionally and just being like, Hey, I need some help. Can you, can you help me? Basically. It reminds me of a, another guest that we had on a Drake. He's at meta and the way that he got started was very, very similar. And the takeaway was just like, as you keep saying, shoot your shot. And surprisingly, a lot of people are willing to help. Yeah. 
I mean, to be really honest with you, I would be sending out because they max it out. I think you can send 100 messages a week. So I was set maxing out like 100 messages and I was getting like maybe five to 10. And people were like, oh, I don't get responses. I'm going to give up. I'm like, it's like that like compound effect. You have to send like 100 to get five. You have to send 1,000 to get 100. You're never going to get everyone to respond back to you. But it's just like, hey, one response out of 100 is better than zero. Yeah, exactly. And that's pretty much exactly what we say about applying to jobs as well. Shoot your shot. Don't self-eliminate. And it's never been easier to apply to jobs today. I mean, you know, these people just bam a apply button. And the worst thing that could happen is that you hear nothing. That's literally it. I mean, it's just silence. Yeah. And if they are mean to you, you can just block them. There's no need to like take it personally, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's true. I didn't think about the mean aspect of that. That's true. I think I'm pretty thick skin. When you're talking about recruiting and you got into the industry now, now you're a sourcer. Is this internal? Is this external? If we could define those terms, that would be great. So for me at the staffing agency, corporate companies are different. So at the staffing agency as a sourcer, I was contracted. So they didn't have full-time positions for sourcers. They put you on a three-month probation plan. Well, sourcers were six months at the time. So if you exceeded your volume, then you get promoted to like a recruiter. And even as a recruiter, you have a three-month probation plan. It's just like, hey, if you can't hit this quota, we have to let you go. So I started as a sourcer at that agency and it's six months to convert. They promoted me within one month because I broke the call goal. Like I sent out like multiple screenings. I did 500 calls a week. I got like, dozens of candidates to the hiring manager or the account manager for them to like review and everything. And then one day the manager, she just walked me into our, her office and she's just like, I want to promote you to a recruiter. And I was like in shock. At first I turned it down because <laughs> I was just like, I'm not ready. Like this job is really easy. And then she's like, okay. But then I was just like, okay, but you make a lot more money as a recruiter. <laughs> and so like, I was just like, I'm ready to be a recruiter. And I was put on the aviation team, which was the most difficult team at that time. And within six months, I became the number one recruiter in the, my division in the office. And my manager, they always reminded me that you don't need a degree. And all of my peers had degrees. And we were doing the exact same work, but I was making more money than them because I was making more in like sales and recruiting. And it was just bizarre to me. It's just, you have a degree, I don't, you're in debt, I'm not. We're making the same exact amount. <laughs> I definitely want to get to the way that compensation works in the recruiting world so that if anybody is listening to this is interested in the field, they at least have an idea of what it looks like and then also the work required to do it. But before we get into that, I would love to define what a recruiter does and what the recruiting process looks like. Because for a lot of people that aren't familiar with it, it's just like magic. I don't know who I'm talking to, right? Like So you put an application or somebody reaches out to you and you're just like, who am I talking to? Is this a recruiter or is this a manager? And so I'd love to just talk a little bit about what a typical recruiting process looks like. Typically there's a job posting and then someone candidates apply to that. And then the recruiter gets their resume, they screen their resume and they screen it to see if it meets the basic qualifications or the skill sets. And so for entry level role, obviously I believe to a T you don't need experience for like senior level roles, like they technically need to meet the basic qualifications or there's a legal problem. So you have to make sure that your resume meets that and they screen it to make sure, Hey, like you have X, Y, and Z that matches the job description, X, Y, and Z. And then from there, I send them a screening question. They fill it out. If they answer everything that's needed, I send them to the hiring manager, the hiring manager reviews, and either you get disposition because you didn't meet the qualifications or you get uh, scheduled for an interview. And then after you do the interview, um, I work on your offer and then you get an offer and then you start. Excellent. Excellent. Regarding the pay structure, you know, you're talking about sales, but this is recruiting. How does the pay structure work in recruiting? It's very different for every single company. So for staffing, they start you really low. So obviously I'm like in California, so I don't know what it's like for every other state, but there's definitely a pay differential based on the state that you work on. So for like California, the staffing agencies, they start you like at a base pay of 55, 65, which is hard to live on. So you need to make the sales or the revenue to be able to compensate that. And in staffing, people are making six figures, 100 to 200 to 300 K on top of their base because of the sales that they were doing recruiting. So that's agency. 
And then in corporate, depending on different like startups, Fang, I know Fang pays like anywhere from like 100 to like 125 for entry level, or they can pay you at 85. I think there's different levels. So anywhere from like 85 to like 110 for maybe like level one, two, I know level three and four, they can make anywhere from like 125 to 130 for sure. When you go into the corporate side, instead of the agency, do you get paid less basically, or is the scale similar? So the reason why a lot of people go to corporate versus agency setting is because agency, it runs you out, like it burns you because it's just like you have to constantly keep up with your metrics and sales because your pay can differentiate. Like some weeks, like in agency, I was making amazing revenue and sales. And then there are weeks where it's just like, hey, I lost all my candidates because they converted. I'm not making anything. And it's just my base. And that's not enough to live in California. And then corporate, it's a lot easier because you get like a set base pay and then you can get bonuses at the end of the year, depending on your company. So it's more stable. And then it's just like, hey, you know what you're just going to get every two weeks. I don't know if I'm going to keep the lights on because there's no sales and agency this week. (laughs) That is an excellent sum up. Thank you very much. It's pretty much sales. If people listening to this are thinking about getting into recruiting, if you have any experience with sales, it's a very similar pay structure. And I mean, it just so happens that the thing that you're selling is like people's lives and people's livelihood. You don't get commission in corporate. You do get that in agency though. I believe in corporate, you get bonuses. What I think is going to be the last question on the pay structure, as far as commissions for agencies, it's totally mystified for people that have no idea. What does a commission look like? What is that off of? Is that off of the base pay? The company has, the budget is 100,000 for this role. If you can negotiate them to 85, you get a percentage of the differential. What does that look like? It's not like the highest, to be honest, from what I saw at the company that I worked at. You would have to be bringing in 20 to 25,000 of revenue for the company to be able to take home 1,500 to 2K extra in like a paycheck. And it really depends on the clients that, you work for like the differential it's like hey like what you the candidate makes you get a percentage of that the higher the candidate makes the more commission the staffing agency gets you know we've been talking a lot about the recruiting process and we've been talking a lot about how the recruiting works and your story one of the things that I think about a lot is bias when it comes to the employment process in general. I mean, like there's just bias all the way up, especially at the recruiter level. I mean, it could even be at the sourcer level, but at these, I don't know what else to call it, but just gatekeeping, like at these front gate type of roles, where does bias come into play for a recruiter? So for me, I am very different as a recruiter. I don't know if it's the best thing, but I know for me, when I was a candidate, entry-level roles, like no degree gaps are very near and dear to my heart. So when I have candidates that have gaps on their resume, I don't care. If it's an entry-level role, and if you're okay with it, I send it the hire manager's way. And if you don't have a degree, obviously you can't control the company. If they make a requisition, require a degree, that's out of your hands. And then underqualified and overqualifications... If a candidate is overqualified for a job, but they want to work in it anyway, and they're okay with the commission or the pay, they just give them the job. They're just like, oh, they're going to leave, but they're making it clear that they want the job. It's not up to you. You can't control if a candidate leaves or not. You could hire someone that is perfect and they could get a job within a month. That's not on them. That's just what they have to do for themselves. Yeah, the overqualified and getting declined for that reason, I thought it was like one of the silliest reasons ever. It's like... If I'm overqualified, then why don't you just give me the job? I'm obviously I need this job. If I'm overqualified, I think that you would understand. I'm smart enough to know that I'm putting in an application for this job and I want this job. And so if I'm overqualified, just give me the role. It reminds me of, I think it was a Disney Channel movie or something like that. When I was growing up, there was this, I think he was like a college professor or something like that, very paper guy. And he ended up losing his job or something like that. And he wanted to be like a school janitor and he put his application in and they were like, hey, you're like really overqualified to be a janitor. But he was just like, I'm here applying for the job. Yeah, I think it's just crazy to me. I know when I was applying after leaving banking, I couldn't get a job at like grocery stores and I can push carts. I'm pretty strong. I work out every day, you know, and it was just so odd. They're like, can't you're a banker. And I'm just like, okay, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, 
One of the things that we tell people when they're on our side of the application process, which is applying to jobs and trying to get hired, is it's really your job to try to connect as many dots as possible. If the one dot is their role and the other dot is your past experience, you've got to make it as easy as possible to get the hiring manager from where you are right now to where they want to be. Yeah. And I think a lot of people really struggle with that portion of it. I mean, that's the whole thing, right? I mean, it's crafting some sort of narrative and some sort of story. This is like, look, I have a background in banking, but really it's just dealing with people and I think I can do it. So why don't you give me for the fifth time, I'm asking for a shot. Yeah, most definitely. It's ridiculous for sure. <laughs> when you're looking through you know, candidate resumes, how do you determine what you're looking for? So obviously there's got to be some things that the company requires, as you've said, but when a recruiter is looking through seemingly hundreds of applications, I'm assuming, what sets people apart? A lot of times people are just like, oh my gosh, if you make a resume that is so pretty and perfect. And I'm just like, dude, like some of the candidates that I work for, their resumes are all over the place. It looks like I'm like trying to find Waldo with how many spaces there are. For me, what I love about the company that I work for is just that they're really lenient. They're really just looking to see if you have what the job description is looking for. Obviously not entry level for positions, but does this person have the desired basic qualifications? We use skill sets, ATS, just to highlight the skills. I know when I do entry level roles and it's multi-hire recs, I screen every single resume. One rec had like 200 applicants. We screened them all and we sent the ones that wanted to move forward to move forward. And then it was up to the hiring manager. It was entry level. Hey, no experience needed. So you screen everyone. Everyone got a shot. <laughs> to give people an idea of how many people you're screening or how many applications you're screening and how long it takes like in a day for how long does it take you to screen an applicant? Honestly, working in an agency, it made corporate so easy. <laughs> It'll take me like a few hours to get through multiple recs. It's really not that challenging because it's just like, hey, I have my template and I have the questions that I want. I'm just used to it. I've been doing it for two years. So you just have to be organized. So it's really easy to just fly by. Sometimes I can screen up to like 100 applications a day sometimes. <laughs> when you're doing 100 applications a day, how long are you spending on each application then? I just want to get a sense for the job seeker. Like what your job is on the other end, what recruiters are going through so that the job seekers have a, people listening to this, they want a job, right? They're like, okay, I have seven seconds to stand out or, you know, I have seven minutes to stand out, whatever, whatever it is. The rule is 30 seconds to a minute because it's just like when you have so many applications, you kind of have to speed through just to see it. That's why it's so important that your resume is matching the job description that you're applying for because we need to be able to like determine that you have the skill sets for this rack because there's so much on our plates like offers, meetings, screenings, calls to go through. It's hard to spend more than five to 10 minutes because then you wouldn't have time to screen at all. Yeah, totally, totally. When you're looking through these candidates and when you're looking through the applicants and you're screening and you're making this decision in 30 seconds to a minute, where does your eyes go? It literally goes straight to the employment and the title that they have. So I'm just going to say, for example, let's say it's a software engineer position and that's what they applied for. I'm automatically going to look for software engineer experience on their resume. So it's so important, once again, to highlight the title and the skills that you have and to make it very known you have the experience of what they're hiring for. Yeah, sorry, getting a little into the weeds there. One, I find it incredibly, incredibly fascinating. And I think it's going to be of a lot of help for a lot of people as well. It reminds me of when I was in banking, I wasn't in the branch system. I was in charge of credit underwriting. And so the people that signed the loan applications with you, you would kick it back my way and then I would make the lending decision. And for a long time, for most of my stint, I did consumer. The product that I was on was credit cards. And so credit cards is like the lowest of the low of lending products. I was making a lending decision in probably the same amount of time. Here's 20 grand, 
you know, no, you're declined. Here's 20 grand. No, you're declined. I probably was doing it quicker. When you think about it from the perspective of people that are on the outside, like of the applicants that I declined in seven seconds, it's kind of effed up. If you think about it, you're like, you made a credit decision on me when I really need that money in seven seconds. But like, that's just the reality of the situation. You know what I mean? Like, that's just what we deal with. I mean, I was dealing with hundreds and hundreds of applications every single day and I had to get through all of them. Most definitely. And so... I would love to talk about the different types of recruiting because for people that are listening to this and they're thinking about getting into recruiting, right? We talked about agencies. We've talked about corporate. I hear the term and the title technical recruiter a lot. Of course. And I would love it if you could explain what a technical recruiter is. Anything that has to do with technical roles like software engineering, data engineering, like anything in that space. So anything within the technical aspect, that's considered technical. So cyber, computer science, it's primarily anything that has to do in the tech space. And then there's like business recruiter and then industrial recruiter. Obviously, when I was an agency, I was an aviation recruiter because I worked on that. And now I'm like a defense recruiter is just specific towards what you're recruiting for. When you're trying to be a technical recruiter, like say you're listening to this podcast, you think, yeah, recruiting sounds great. I think I want to be a technical recruiter and I want to do it for tech, you know, and I want to recruit software engineers. Do you have to be a software engineer yourself? What do you, as a technical recruiter, like what do you need to have? What knowledge do you need to have? I know you don't have to be a software engineer. You have to hire software engineers. So what my understanding is, especially like FANG industries, like if you're coming from agency, they require at least two to three years of experience, like full cycle experience, because it's really high volume. So they want to make sure that you're able to handle the pace. And predominantly, they would like it if you had experience recruiting in the tech space. But if you're able to have more experience in a different kind of space, it could outweigh that specific qualifications. And then I don't know why, but for some companies, they require having like a degree to be a recruiter. You do not need a degree to be a recruiter. <laughs> if you don't need a degree to be a recruiter, what are some of the qualities and skills do you need to be a recruiter? Definitely, you need to be very personable because you need to have a lot of patience. Attitude is a really important aspect. What I've learned in this company while well, working in agency and now corporate is that there are days where it's just going to, man, they don't want to move forward with this candidate and you spent months trying to find this candidate. This candidate just ghosts you. You didn't meet your metrics because they just won't start. You're going to have to have attitude to know that, hey, that's just the market. It has nothing to do with you. And then you really have to have resilience because every day there's like a new challenge. It's just you never know what could happen in recruiting. It's all dealing with people, right? And you're dealing with them on one of the most intimate levels it's their life. They're probably going to be doing whatever it is that you're trying to fill the position for. They're probably going to be doing that more than they hang out with their kids. Yeah, most definitely. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's kind of sad to say it, but yeah. And so having the people skills, I imagine, is an incredibly important. And I imagine it is the most important. It's literally people over everything because it's just at the end of the day, you're dealing with people like telling them like, hey, they got the job, telling him, sorry, we couldn't meet your comp expectations, having them here like, but we just got laid off, but we really need this along the way, trying to put yourself in their shoes, having tough conversations, man. I remember I had to make 25 phone calls and just be like, back to back. It's just like, sorry, you just didn't get the job. I'm sorry. You know, and it was just like, it defeats you at the end of the day sometimes. <laughs> When you're giving these hard conversations and you're giving this bad news, what does a conversation usually look like? Hi, is this X, Y, and Z? This is Linda from Blank Company. Thank you so much for taking the time to interview. Unfortunately, like you weren't selected at this time due to X, Y, Z. I'm so sorry. You were an amazing candidate. Like I hope you'll consider other positions with us in the future. If anything opens up and it's similar, I can reach out to you or keep you on a list. And usually it's like disappointment or they're just very understanding, but it's tough. <laughs> At what point in the process do you close the loop for them? At what point in the process are you giving them that call? Because you can't do that for everybody, right? Is this, so this is just for people that are really deep in the process? 
Yeah, most definitely deep in the process. Sometimes they just are dispositioned or if they reach out and send an email, it just really depends. But sometimes when it's just like one of those wrecks where it's just, man, they were just so close. It's just a phone call felt better than just like, hey, generic email, sorry. (laughs) Talking about the process of recruiting and you were talking about ATS and looking at people's resumes and how difficult it was due to the volume and due to how quickly we're making decisions. Where you are now or in your industry in general, how has AI come into your role, if at all? I personally haven't used AI in my role specifically because it's more just traditional recruiting. But I do know like for as a recruiter, when I'm giving advice to clients or anything outside of my job, like if I'm helping anyone, I work with AI companies. And honestly, AI is a game changer. ChatGTP is phenomenal to be able to give feedback or AI prompts, to be able to interview prep. Like you can treat ChatGTP like as a person. Hey, can you interview prep me? Can you mock trial me? Does this work to quantify my experience on a resume? You can insert your resume into ChatGTP and it can give you feedback on what to work on. Obviously to each their own because it is, you know, not a person. So just take it with a grain of salt. Yeah, definitely. There are a bunch of ways that you can use ChatGPT in the process if you're a job seeker. I remember I was having a conversation with uh, one of the CEOs of these big recruiting type firms. And this was last year before ChatGPT even came out. And they have been working on using AI in their algorithms to match candidates to open job descriptions for a while. And it seems like a lot of companies, even smaller companies, due to the proliferation and how cheap it has become to implement it within their you know recruiting process, companies have started to use it, even if it is if it's not like baked into their ATS, I've had conversations with people that'll just take their job description and paste it into ChatGPT and then they'll copy and paste resumes into ChatGPT and be like, I'm thinking of a smaller company and right. And because they're, they don't have a recruiter, right? Like it's just like the hiring manager is doing it. So there's nobody else doing it. And they're just like, does this work? Does this not work? It's an interesting time we're living in. I do think the question sparks a better answer. So if you are able to jot down a better question, it could give you a better answer. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. And when you're playing with it as uh, I mean, I, I literally use ChatGPT every single day. And I find that the longer my prompts, usually the more information I give it, usually the better output I get. What's really nice about it, playing with it for, you know, the the year that it has been available to the public is that it has made my thoughts a little bit clearer because I have to write clearly to, you know, as you said, like this person, this like fake employee. Yeah. I mean, I use ChatGTP for like love advice. I'm like, should I send this text like this? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Has it been fruitful? Has it ever led you astray? I mean, when I can't see my therapist that week, it helps me feel calmer. So yeah. (laughs) I would love to switch gears a little bit and talk about Creatively Quiet. Yeah. With Creatively Quiet, I know that you have a newsletter. I would love it if you could tell people a little bit about it and, you know, how they can get involved. Yeah, most definitely. So I built Creatively Quiet with a mission where it's literally quiet voices can make loud impacts. So I'm an introvert in a workplace and it wasn't designed for us. It's designed for extroverted people. And I'll never forget like companies that I've worked for where like I would be working in a private office. They would pull me out. You got to go sit in the pit and you got to learn to adapt to the energy in the room. And the energy in the room was blasting music, throwing a football and chit-chatting about the weekend. I'm like, I'm here to work. Okay. Or being forced to go to parties where people are drinking, blasting music. And I'm like, I don't drink. This isn't my scene. Or being told that you're not fit to be a leader or you can't be promoted because you're too quiet and too shy. But I'm meeting all my goals. I'm nice to everyone. The hiring manager reaches out to me specifically because I know how to do my job. (laughs) It was ridiculous to me. But now like in a company that I'm for, I'm welcome. They told me when I was interviewing that they could tell like I was introverted. But they told me that I was the best interviewer that they had because I gave the best answers because I took the time to think. And 
for me, mental health was so important too, because seeing like all the toxic cultures that I've experienced. And when I wrote about it on LinkedIn, people would just resonate with it and they would reach out. They're just like, we're currently going through this. Are you going to write a book? Is there anything else that you're going to do? Is there a community? And that's what sparked me to create Creatively Quiet centered around mental health and introversion so that I can help people feel united and feel like collaborative and feel like they have a safe space just to show up as who they are. Have you ever read the book by Susan Cain, Quiet? That is an amazing book. That is the Bible for introverts. <laughs> yeah, it's been a long time since I've read it. But yeah, I remember when I did read it, I was like, yeah, this is awesome. I am also an introvert, even though a lot of people think when you meet me that I'm not. Or if you see me or you hear me in this setting, no, you're, you're an extrovert. That's all learned. I thought you were extroverted too when I met you. <laughs> The way that I think about it, and this is coming from, I spent a decade in restaurants and I was a dishwasher, busser, back of the, I did all the back of the house work and then I did all the front of the house work over a decade. And then I ended my career there as a bartender. But majority of my time as a restaurant worker was in the front of the house. And so I learned through serving tables and bartending how to put on a smile. I learned how to go on stage basically. But then, you know, after this conversation is over, uh, even though it's just you and me in this virtual room right now, I'm gonna like go have to take a nap because this is like, this is too much interaction for today. Yeah, most definitely. I think the misconception that people have about introverts is that it's like a weakness or something. It's like, you can't be amazing as an introvert and which is extremely untrue because I built like a half a million platform using my words as an introvert. I'm a recruiter as an introvert. I can go to parties and have fun as an introvert, but I need my time alone. I need to be able to process alone. I need to be my own best friend, but I can still do everything an extrovert can do. I may not just like it though. <laughs> hey there, I hope that you're loving today's conversation. At Degree Free, we wanna help as many people as we can thrive and succeed without needing a college degree. Having these guests on that share their experiences so that you can learn from their stories and their mistakes is one of the ways that we do that. Genuinely, I'm just grateful that these guests take the time to come on and share their wisdom. And if you're getting value out of this conversation, or you've listened to two, three, or four plus episodes, I have one quick ask. Please take a moment right now to review this podcast on whatever platform you're tuning in on. With your review, you're not just supporting us, but you're amplifying the voices of every guest we bring on and ultimately helping more people thrive degree-free. Thank you for doing that right now and for being such an important part of degree-free. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's, that's hilarious. I feel that one of the things that I think that introverts have in leg up on is listening. Yes. And that is one of the biggest reasons, I mean, amongst actually a bunch of other reasons, but it's one of the reasons why I do the podcast and not Hannah. Hannah is an extrovert. And because she's extroverted, she loves to meet people and she loves to interface with people and she loves to talk. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying this about any, any extroverts. I'm just talking about for Hannah. A part of her extroversion is being so excited that she doesn't let people speak sometimes. And where my introvertedness, I would rather you speak. If I had it my way, you would just show up to this Zoom room and you would talk to yourself for 90 minutes <laughs> and then I would just post that. Yeah. You know? I think that is the superpower that introverts have, which is the ability to listen. And really, when you listen to other people, you're able to create a deeper connection because the more people speak about themselves, the more they like you. Yeah, most definitely. And I don't know if you agree with this or not, but like when I... I'm in like a meeting in my former companies and there's just that one loud person who thinks that just because they're talking loudly, that means that everyone's listening. For me, in my head, I'm just like, no one has ever told you to shut up at any point in your life. Stop talking, <laughs> you know? Well, for me, I have a general allergy to meetings in general. So I am a part of the cohort of people 
who whenever at the end of the, the assembly and everybody's like, do you have any questions? And then the person raises their hand. I'm just, I want to, you know, <laughs> I want to throw something at him and take my shoe off and throw it at him. I'm like, no, we don't have any questions. You wait till after. Very true. From Creatively Quiet on LinkedIn, you were talking about how you have built a tribe of half a million people that follow you there. I'd love to spend a little bit of time talking about content creation and what that looks like, especially on LinkedIn, because here's the advice that everyone gets and that everyone gives also. You got to start networking. You have to start creating content on LinkedIn. Oh, you want to get a job? You want to get out of where you are? and stop driving Uber, okay, well, get on LinkedIn and start creating content. And then everybody's just like, the next question is like, what does that mean? I have no idea what that means. Is there any tips that you could give for beginners that you know have no idea what content creation is? I have no idea what content creation is. <laughs> so when I started on LinkedIn, it wasn't for me to be like this influencer or to create content or to get a massive following. It was really for me to set myself up because I'm just like, man, I have no connections. If I lose my job, it's so hard with someone like me with no experience. So it was really just, okay, maybe if I write and if I build a network, it'd be easier in the future to get help. So if I can build a community and it's like, if I get laid off or if something happens, I can reach out for help because people are amazing. When you need help, people will stand up and support you. I've seen that. And then for some reason, I found that writing content gave me this healing that I've never experienced because I've experienced a lot like of trauma in my life, like depression, anxiety, and I never really had an outlet besides therapy, but therapy is expensive and it's only once a week. So then I started to really write about my experiences on LinkedIn, like mental health, remote work, what it's like to have a kind leader, what toxic environments look like. What was it like to have all these trauma experiences? And the more that I wrote about that, people just started resonating. And then within a year, it was like 100,000, 200, 300, 400, and now 500. And then everyone always asked me, they're like, how did you do it? How did you build like a massive following? I just started writing. Like I picked a niche for me. It was just recruiting at the time. And then along the way, like, I implemented like, my personal life, my mental health, like, my careers, gaps, like entry level. I wrote about my experiences because people want to resonate with a human being. They don't want to resonate with someone who's looking to build clout, essentially. And you actually can make money off of LinkedIn. I built almost a six-figure side hustle with LinkedIn by just writing. And then brands found me, companies, corporations. The sky's really the limit because Instagram, TikTok, yeah, it's a completely different ballgame. But where do companies live? On LinkedIn, you know? So they really do look for people who write every single day. And your following is not so much what matters, it's your engagement. I have a high following, but I also have an engagement rate because it's what you write. And if I can give any advice, you're going to suck. It's terrible at the beginning. But I remember I was happy every second along the way. I was happy when I got one like, 10 like, 15 likes. I got 100 impressions or 100 views. But I kept going. And people, they go within like a week and then they don't see the results. They give up. They're just like, oh, like I didn't get the results. Is not for me? I'm just like, it could have been, but you gave up. <laughs> And I don't know if this is going to help anybody, but one of the things that has helped me about content creation in general, or just basically doing things in public is what I call it. And it's just like, this podcast is a good example of doing things in public, right? We've been doing this podcast for two years. We haven't missed a week in two years. And at the very beginning, and I always encourage every single person that listens to this podcast, go back and listen to our first episode. I'm never taking that first episode down. I am absolutely terrified. And I like... I am terrified and I am terrible and you can hear it. I have a difficult time listening to it because I sound like I'm going to cry. I'm like, uh, uh, and yeah, you're going to suck. And then look, two years later, you still suck, but you don't suck as much. You will find your groove as long as you keep up with it. One of the things that has helped was realizing that if you put a piece of content out there, especially on social media and it sucks and nobody sees it, guess what? Nobody saw it. It doesn't matter. And it's only the stuff that people see. Okay, that matters. But even then, it's like, okay, on to the next. Yeah. And there's also a saying, I think a lot of people don't start because like they're afraid of like being torn down or being made fun of. And I felt that way a lot. I get a lot of hate comments, but then it's just like haters don't write your checks. 
There's no hater that's going to be doing better than you. That's from David Goggins. If someone is like tearing you down, it's because one, you're doing something that they want to do, but they're too afraid to do it. So it's just like, if they see you doing it, it's embarrassing for them. And second of all, it's just someone who is successful will build you up and celebrate you. They're not going to make fun of you. Unsuccessful people tear down successful people. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with that. I said this a long time ago. I think it was with my third or fourth guest, Robin Altucher. And I was talking about when I had that mindset shift myself, because I used to be that person. I used to be the person that looked at other people. I went to college, I got a degree and I got out of school and I started applying to jobs and nobody would hire me. Nobody cared about my degree. I thought that's all they cared about was the college degree required. There's only one line on the job description that says required and it's college degree. Everything else was nice to have on all the, the jobs that I was applying to, but nobody hired me because secret, they didn't care about my degree. They just cared that I could do all the nice to haves is what they cared about. Of course. And I got out of college and I was looking at all my friends that didn't go and they had all of these jobs that I wanted and they were already successful and they were already doing big things. And I was just like, this guy's such an idiot. How did this guy get this job? And I'm still poor and I'm still bartender now. And it wasn't until in my bones felt that transition to, wow, good for this guy. Amazing that John got there without doing what I did. Maybe I should ask him for advice. Yeah. I mean, I look at people who are more successful than me and I think how inspiring. And it's so easy to be jealous or competitive, like to call it what it is, when you're not where they are. But then you have to remind yourself, you don't know what they went through. You really don't. And it's just like, but they made it. They could help you if you allow them to, instead of trying to be bitter about it. If you're upset at someone else's success, it doesn't stop them. It stops you. And Linda, I don't want to take up your whole day. So I just have a couple of questions before we head out. First, if anybody wants to follow along with your career, say hi, get in touch, what is the best place to do that? Where can I send them? Yeah, of course. So either LinkedIn, I'm Linda Lee with a sunflower, so just one E, or like creativelyquiet.com. I have a contact form there and you can reach out to me there too. <laughs> perfect, perfect. And we will put links to everything in the show notes, degreefree.co forward slash podcast for all those listening. And last, Linda, is there any final thoughts, ideas, words of wisdom that you'd like to tell the audience that we haven't covered already? Yeah. Just know that where you are is just the starting point. It's not the end point. You have so much life left to succeed and to do everything that you want. I'll never forget, like I have a friend who's close to almost 40 and Sometimes I'm just like, oh my gosh, at 24, I feel so old. Like I haven't done what I wanted. And he just rolls his eyes at me. And he's just like, I'm almost 40 and I'm just getting started. I'm almost 40 and I'm just beginning. I'm almost 40 and I'm living the life of my dreams. So where you are is not who you are. It's not definitive. Life can change in an instant if you allow it to in a good way. But it really takes you to be able to accelerate your life, your career, your dreams, your passions. It starts with you. It's easier said than done. The rejections are excruciatingly painful. It diminishes you, but it really doesn't. It could diminish you, but it doesn't define you. The only person that defines you is you at the end of the day. I think that's a perfect place to leave it. And I have a bunch of other questions that I wanted to ask you that we could have gotten to. And so maybe in the future, we could have a round two some sort, maybe a year from now again, <laughs> hopefully sooner. Yeah, most definitely. I had the best time. Thank you so much, Ryan. <laughs> How was that, folks? I know you got a ton of value out of the episode because I did. It was so great to see what recruiters actually deal with so that you know what they have to deal with in order to stand out. Once again, show notes to everything that we talked about can be found at degreefree.co forward slash podcast. As usual, let me know in the YouTube comments how you like this episode. Until next week, aloha.